Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. Guys, I appreciate you all. A bunch of you have reached out, asked about my back. I can happily tell you that I feel like I'm 100%. feel back to normal. I've been back to hard sparring as well as strength and conditioning, and I've had zero setbacks. I think I am in the clear, and I'm just so happy about that. But just a huge shout out. I really appreciate you guys always caring and asking about me. And um, I'm just really blessed to uh, have you guys in my life. Now, the PGF. I will be stepping into a new uh, new role this season. The first four seasons of the PGF, I was the main commentator. And I enjoyed that gig. I got tons of practice commentating. I really uh, had a great time doing it. I called tons of great matches. I met tons of great athletes. Um, I just really was thankful for just all the experience it gave me. I mean, just in the PGF alone, I know I've commentated more than 100 hours. That's probably more than most people in this sport. Like, I have to be in the top 1% of 1% of just people that have time in on commentary. Because there's just not very many guys that do commentary regularly. And there's definitely not a lot of people, I guarantee, that have over 100 hours of experience. So that's kind of cool to think about. But for Season 5, I will be stepping away from that. I will be changing roles and I will be a team manager this season. Now, the manager plays a really important part in the PGF because they choose the teams. And I think that's one of the most fun parts about the PGF is the draft and just the team aspect of it. It's very unique to the PGF. And this season, there will be 20 athletes, four teams. So there will be four other managers and myself and three other people will be choosing those teams. Now, I'm excited about that. I love drafts. I love Football drafts, basketball drafts, I love just the possibilities of the upcoming season, seeing who's going where, how are they going to flourish in that spot. And one of the cool things about this is after you pick your team, like then the schedule's made, and these guys like won't know who they're going to face, and so you get all tons of crazy matchups in the PGF, and um, I, I just really, really like that part about it. And after the draft... The role of the manager is to really just support the guys, be there for them, um, particularly when it comes to like strategy and just some tactical advice. And in game, I mean, they're not going to be coaching them play by play. It's not going to be like my relationship with Nakaya, for instance, who I'm going to be a lot more active as a coach during her matches because I know her game inside and out. With some of these guys, I've never even seen them grapple. I've got a lot of research to do before <laughs> before the PGF comes up because I don't know probably six or seven of the guys. And if I had to do the draft tomorrow, I'd be really blind to like how these guys, uh, where they fit in this season. But the PGF uh, um, is really cool because these guys are all going to get 12 matches and they're going to get exposed, right, for the good and the bad. And so you really got to know the players pretty in depth to make a good team. And I, uh, I've i got some thoughts already on the draft, but yeah, until I do all my research, um, you know, I, 
I can't really say too much. Now, as I was saying, though, that the coaching role is like, it's not really to like tell a guy like what to do play by play. It's really a lot more about just, hey, you've got a minute left. Maybe they're going against somebody much better than them, and we want to take points off the board. So just kind of, hey, let's close things down. Let's be some uh, def- defensively sound. You know, we've seen him go for three leg lock attempts, so let's really hide the legs. Or maybe vice versa. Hey, you've been dominating this match, but, you know, I feel like you need to take some more risks. We need to walk away with points. I need you to take some chances for me. Open up your game. See if you can find something. Hey, you have this many points. You know, you need to score to make it into the playoffs. Just things like that. That's really the manager's role. Obviously, if the guys have any technical questions, I'll do my best to answer them. But yeah, a lot of these guys that are coming in are studs. I mean, they're top-level competitors. They've competed on the national scene. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to have to explain to these guys like, hey, let me show you how to do an outside heel hook. Like, all these dudes are game, and I'm interested to see how they do in the PGF because it is such a gauntlet and... Man, there's just so many epic moments that have happened in the first four seasons, and it just gets me excited thinking about what's possible in season five. Now, the fantasy portion is back, and I can say that, guys, you need to be involved in the fantasy. The winner of the PGF Fantasy League gets $1,000. $1,000 should just participate. If you set a lineup each night, And at the end of the season, if you have the most points, you will win $1,000. There is no other promotion offering a fan experience like that. I can tell you guys from my experience as a huge sports fan, uh, playing fantasy sports is one of my favorite things to do. It just really, really gets you involved in the season. Um, You know, I love NBA basketball, so I love creating fantasy lineups. I love tracking the sport that way. It just really makes being a fan of the NBA an even better experience. And I think if you guys do that with the PGF, you just do some research, get to know these guys a little bit, and then start picking these lineups every single night, and you have a shot to win $1,000, I think you're going to see great grappling. You're going to see great storylines unfold, but you also have a good chance to win $1,000. I mean, you can't ask for much more when it comes to jiu-jitsu nobody else is doing anything like that guys changing gears a little bit i gotta talk about a huge pet peeve of mine because some of you guys are really not selling jiu-jitsu to your friends probably like you're not telling them the truth about jiu-jitsu i don't know what some of you guys are telling them but i swear some of you are acting like you are going to war every single night and that you're entering a war zone and only the toughest and most hardened human beings walk out of there alive now this has happened multiple times over the years so it's not just one person has done this i know a handful of people have done this we've had people sign up and after a few months you know you try to check in on everybody hey how's your jiu-jitsu experience going and there's been a handful of guys tell me, hey, how's your jiu-jitsu experience going? They go, man, I love this sport. I wish I would have got started sooner. It's like, oh, man, well, what was holding you back from getting started sooner? And they go on to tell me how somebody from our gym or maybe even a buddy 
that just trains in another city or whatever was telling them about jujitsu. And every time they talked about it, they would just act like jujitsu was just the roughest sport that when they went into the gym, it was kill or be killed that, you know, it was super like just hard training and that you had to be prepared mentally for those battles and that there was a good chance you could get injured and that people would just like snap your arm, you know, cause people would tell me like, I was just worried to come because I just, they acted like, you know, there's just a good chance if I went, I'd get my arm popped in an arm bar. Somebody would be out of control and they'd be kicking my ass and I would walk out of there with an injury. And I just, I didn't want that to happen. And I totally understand that. And look, guys, I understand jujitsu is difficult. It is a hard sport. It's hard. But I think most of us love our gyms, right? I know there's a handful of you out there. You've got drama with your gyms and everything. That's a whole other story. But I think most of us really love the place we train at. We love the people that we train with. um, And we just love the experience. And yeah, there are some tough nights. There's some hard training nights. But 99.999% of the roles, you feel like your partner's in control. They're looking out for you. They're not just going to crank submissions. 99% of the roles you have, you walk out of there completely fine. You're not injured after the role, but yet some of you guys, and it's particularly blue belts. I've noticed that, that it's like blue belts. They're telling their buddies and they're acting like it's just, again, like, man, like I just got back from a war zone tonight. Like me and -and so-and-so just went at it and we butted heads and man, he ended up catching me in an arm bar and it was super tight. He almost popped my arm and your buddy's hearing this and he's just thinking like, oh my God, like what are you doing? You've just like, you're like almost like in a gladiator sport. It's like, what's the way some of you guys talk about it? Like it's like gladiator where only one person gets to walk out. And as somebody that is the manager and like runs a gym, it's just so frustrating to hear that. Cause it just makes me wonder all the other people, um, that are here, like they're telling this to, and that are being discouraged from coming to jujitsu because they're worried about that competitive atmosphere that, you know, kill or be killed mentality you know and i get it you know there's guys that you're you know at pretty much every gym that are like really hardcore competitors and yeah those guys can be a little bit rough at times but if you even just look at them and like their track record of like injuring people most of the time it's very very low if those guys have a thousand roles maybe like one or two people get injured you know and that's what i try and tell everybody like when they come in like because it's like people ask all the time hey do people get injured a lot here it's just, this is a combat sport. There's submissions. And I say, hey, look, the odds of getting injured are very low. We've had very few injuries over the years. If there are a thousand rolls taking place, again, maybe like somebody will get injured once. And if we're talking about like catastrophic injury, there's, I mean, it's like point, it's in the points. Like I wouldn't even say it's one out of a thousand. It's probably like 0.01 out of a thousand. So yeah, I think jujitsu is a very safe sport. And I think, 90 plus percent of gyms out there you're going to have a great experience and you're going to be very well taken care of so please you know if your strategy is to try to impress your friends with this suit you know like jujitsu is like the hardest thing you'll ever do oh man no you don't understand like jujitsu is so tough or oh man i'm so wore out i'm so sore from jujitsu this guy was yanking on my feet like he was trying to heel hook and trying to rip my knees off you know, you're trying to like tell these war stories, kind of like exaggerate to just make yourself seem tougher um, and just really kind of impress your friends. Please, it is uh, not, that's not the way to go about it. 
And it's also, there's a good chance your buddy's never going to get to try jujitsu because you're scaring the crap out of them. You're scaring them, and maybe they think it's something that's cool, but it's something they'll never give a try because they're just too scared to do it. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, I want to get into some drama. You guys know that I'm a sucker for drama, particularly Brazilian jiu-jitsu drama. I think it adds a lot of interest to the sport. I think um, I just think it's a good thing, you know. And uh, Gordon Ryan's been back at it again. And I was funny, though. You know, I was talking about drama earlier with Brandon, and I was saying, like, man, it's crazy how some of these freak matchups in boxing have really captured my interest, particularly Dylan Dennis versus Logan Paul. The behavior that Dylan has shown is uh, is really kind of gross, you know. I definitely don't condone the way he's gone and like attack Jake's, you know, woman or girlfriend or whatever she is to him, uh, or excuse me, Logan, I should say, like Logan's girl. But at the same time, it's provided a ton of interest, and I'm definitely really interested in watching that fight. Like, is Logan going to get revenge? Is he going to knock out Dylan Dennis, who's one of the most hated guys in combat sports? Or is Dylan Dennis going to be the guy that takes out Logan Paul? The Paul brothers, also two of the most hated figures in combat sports, particularly when it comes to MMA. Because people feel like Jake in particular has been preying on older MMA fighters. And so it's like one of those, like... Who's gonna like if one of those guys gets knocked out? It's like a big deal, and with all the drama with uh, Logan's girl, you know, calling for a restraining order, and with all the back and forth, it's just it's really been interesting to watch, and it's got me wanting to tune in to that card. Now, Gordon Ryan is been back attacking the B team guys. Now. Seems like Gordon Ryan, anytime a B team does anything, like has any success, he goes at them. And these guys were coming off of a big win in Japan. Now, I know this win was even sweeter for the B team because they replaced New Wave at the quintet. And you could see from Sakuraba when Sakuraba, who's like the man of quintet, absolute obviously legend in the sport of MMA but starts quintet it's been very successful it's a lot of people's favorite grappling format well having another show four teams are invited new waves one of them well he announces on a video on a live video that new waves pulled out and he's kind of like asking like he doesn't understand why John Donner here is pulling his team out it doesn't make any sense well, the next day, he confirms that B-Team has taken their place. B-Team goes over there as a team, dominates the field. They end up beating 10th Planet in the final, and they really they dominate us. Particularly, Craig Jones dominated 10th Planet. He took out both Martinez brothers, one with that crazy toehold, and then Gio Martinez. And Gio's one of the top. I was looking at Gio's uh, BJJ record today, and he is one of the toughest dudes to sup. He is defensively incredibly sound and Craig found that triangle uh, the rear triangle to arm bar and just made it look easy and then he ended up taking out their last guy and so I mean B team had two guys left after uh, Craig had finished off 10th planet which is really um, saying like that that's a pretty decisive win 
And so these guys are riding the hive, you know, getting to experience a culture uh, with such historical significance as Japan, plus going out there and winning quintet as a team. These guys are on top of the world. Well, Gordon Ryan comes out and starts attacking Nikki Rod again. And Gordon shares uh, shares uh, on his Instagram a thread where he has sent Nikki Rod a, a like a contract to sign up or to agree to WADA testing. And Gordon's going to pay for it. So essentially in the contract, it's just Gordon's going to pay for it. If Nikki fails, nothing happens. If Nikki passes all of them, nothing happens. So there's really no monetary penalty or like uh, reward for doing these tests. It's purely just a, hey, take these super strict like water tests that will be administered at random points until ADCC. All of the test results will be given to me, and I will be able to publish those results. So essentially, he's hoping Nicky Rod fails before ADCC so he can debunk the Natty Rod um, legend that has been Nicky Rod over the past year, and he's hoping to show, like, hey, that I've been right. He is a Nicky Fraud. He's not the Natty King. He is actually Nicky Fraud. And Gordon, again, like, in the thing, it says that uh, these guys can come um, anywhere, anytime between the hours of 7 a.m. and I want to say midnight or maybe 11 p.m., something like that. But essentially, at any point from the morning until night other than the super early hours in the morning. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Nikki doesn't get anything other than proving he's once and for all natural or not. Now, Nikki responded and was like, no, I'm not going to do this testing without financial incentives. It just makes no sense. I have already passed the blood test from more dates, uh, more plates, more dates. And this guy, who a lot of people consider him a steroid expert, checked out my blood, did a almost 45-minute analysis of it. He says that he believes that I have been natty for at least the past year and that I at least competed against you at ADCC as well as that super fight as a natural. I don't have anything else to prove. Why would I agree to do this test on 24 hours as well as, uh, you know, why would I uh, compete at ADCC and then against you in a humongous super fight? If like I was unnatural, why would I be natural for those? Like it wouldn't make any sense. And so I hear what Nicky Rod's saying. But at the same time, this is kind of my thoughts on this. I really wish they could work something out because I think this could be huge for the sport as well as just really establishing um, you know, one of these guys. Because if Nicky Rod, let's say he agreed to five tests. like I think if Gordon came out and was like, hey, I'll pay for five tests. And these can be administered any time until ADCC. But five. So Nicky Rod knows the exact amount. It's not going to be just like something where he has to do like 25 tests and Gordon just keeps ordering tests to kind of mess with them. It's like, no, they're going to be five tests or maybe three tests, whatever the number is. Maybe it's just two tests, just two random tests up until ADCC. 
to me, that would be a huge, um, like, oh man, he passed both tests leading up to ADCC, like Gordon, uh, or, you know, they, they, they decided the organization decided when the best time to like, I, he's going to be on cycle at this time of like ADCC's this date. This is probably when he's going to do a cycle. And if they randomly checked him and he passed and then he passed again, and let's, let's say he did three, oh, he passed three times. Then I'd be convinced. I think everyone would have to be convinced that Nick Rodriguez is a natural athlete. And if Nicky Rod really wanted to stick it to Gordon, to me, that would be like a huge dagger in Gordon's legacy. That this guy who's had a ton of success in the grappling community, like grappling world already, is already creating his own legacy. He's got two silver medals at ADCC. He's won a bunch of other huge events. He won the BJJ, um, the uh, UFC Fight Pass tournament that was super stacked. He had that crazy match against Big Dan. He won EBI, the Absolutes, which is, to me, a really important thing to have on your resume if you're trying to go down as one of the best ever. Uh, again, obviously, he's got those two ADCC silver medals. He just needs that gold medal to really solidify that resume. And now I'm not saying Nicky Rod is the greatest of all time based on this, but if I told you, hey, this one guy is super sauced up, you know, he's taking tons of steroids and he accomplished this. And maybe it's Andre Galvao's resume. And then I show you Nicky Rod's and I say, hey, this guy never did steroids. I know a lot of people, I know a lot of people in the sports community would be just as impressed, if not more impressed, by what the natural athlete did compared to that of the unnatural athlete. A guy like Andre Gaval, a guy like Gordon Ryan, you know, and I hear what Gordon's saying, like tons of ADCC champions have taken steroids and abused steroids. I mean, you just look at some of these dudes, like, again, Andre Gaval, like clearly this dude has been on tons of performance-enhancing drugs. Same thing with Gordon Ryan. Clearly, tons of performance-enhancing drugs. And so, if Nicky Rod, let's say, let's say he did. Let's say he agreed to three tests. He passed every single test and then went and won gold at ADCC. Would that be the most impressive? What if he double-golded? Would that be the most impressive ADCC run of all time? I would argue it might be. If he went into the field um, at this upcoming 2024 ADCC championships and double golded, proven to be a natural athlete against a lot of athletes in there that are not going to have been drug tested. And a lot of these guys showing up are going to show up looking like the Hulk, you know, they're going to show up looking like science experiments. I mean, it would be a super impressive athletic feat. And oh, man, I. I could see that happening. I mean, again, the guy's finished second twice. First time he finished second, he uh, only had maybe like a year and a half of submission grappling. So this past time, um, maybe four years of submission grappling. So this time it'll be right around six, six and a half years of grappling. Like I think this could be the year that like Nicky Rob might be the favorite, especially if Gordon decides not to do his division again. But it seems like that gap is... Um, getting closer and closer, you know, and especially if Nicky Rod can force one or two matches with Gordon before then. I mean, he's going to have tons of mat time against Gordon. He's going to be comfortable competing against him. I think that was one of the big issues was 
when they went into that finals that you could just tell like he was so nervous from all the trash talking just how much that like that huge rivalry between Gordon Ryan and the B team like how much that affected Nicky Rod and he went out there and just really kind of shit the bed you know it just wasn't a good performance he made a really big error and then you saw him on fight pass the fight pass invitational have a super fight against Gordon and he uh, really played it very, very well, and he almost won that match. So with Gordon's health issues, plus, you know, Nicky Rod, um, I don't know, you know. But, yeah, I just, I wonder, you know, like, is, like, how much would that mean? You know, would that be a huge dagger in Gordon's legacy? Would that start becoming more the norm? You know, if we saw, if people saw Nicky Rod take these tests, pass, and then do incredibly well, win gold at ADCC, would that just encourage more people to try it natural? I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting thought. Now, a little bit more drama when it, you know involving B Team and Gordon Ryan is just who are the seniors and juniors at New Wave. And particularly when we're talking about a guy like Oliver Taza, Oliver Taza, one of the people's favorite grapplers. And when I mean people, I just mean jiu-jitsu fans in general. Oliver Taza has been a gangster for many, many years. He has a lot of wins over a lot of big names. He's competed at multiple ADCCs. He's, um, he's just, he's a stud. He's a stud. And... Recently, um, I should say this past weekend, Oliver Taza competed at the European ADCC trials. Now, ADCC trials, in my opinion, are one of the three biggest events in grappling. And when it comes to just making a name for yourself and really um, just coming out of nowhere and, and really doing something remarkable, like ADCC provides that experience more than any other grappling promotion like a blue belt or a young guy like this Owen I think his name was Owen Jones who won the 66 kilogram division he came out of nowhere I'd never heard of this kid and he goes out beats Ash Williams wins the final against um, a guy from B team and now he's an ADCC beat Robert Deagle beat everybody that day and ADCC can provide that for these young guys, or these guys that nobody knows about. It just gives you the ultimate platform, and then you get your free ticket to the big show where you can really earn like immortality as a grappler, as somebody that will go down for the rest of time in the history of uh, grappling. And I love it, right? So anyway, everybody's tuned into this. Oliver Taza is in the toughest bracket of the day. Now, I will say the brackets did seem super whack in that most of the best guys were on one side of the bracket and then Oliver Taza was on the other side of the bracket. I have no clue who made those seedings and who really created that bracket, but they should definitely be fired. They should not be allowed to make another bracket again because their placements were just horrible. But anyways... We end up seeing B-Team versus New Wave in the final. Joseph Chin, dark horse. I mean, he's a guy I think people could see have success, but the last European trials, he got his foot broken pretty quickly by Mateusz uh, Shavinsky or whatever, however you say his last name. But Mateusz from, you know, is known for his shotgun straight ankle lock. He's just been straight lock everybody. Well, Joseph Chin beats him. Then he beats 
Tommy Lankacker. And then in the finals, he has to face Oliver Taza. So three ADCC feds, three guys that are some of the best in the world. And he takes out two of them in the finals versus Oliver Taza. They have a crazy scrap. And Joseph Chin ends up hitting a crazy transition, takes the back, ends up winning on points. Well, Gordon Ryan makes a post because um, there were multiple new wave guys there. Oliver Taza obviously being one. He got second place. But then Luke Griffith ended up winning one of the divisions, so he earned his ticket to ADCC. He um, uh, dominated. I think he finished every match by sub. In the finals, he ended up finishing by smother tap, which is just a remarkable accomplishment. And then in the finals of the 99 plus of the heaviest division, Big Dan actually ended up getting second. He ended up losing to, um, I can't even pronounce this guy's name, but this guy's been at ADCC and he ended up losing by a negative. And so Big Dan will probably more than likely have to go out and win the next um, European trials to make it to ADCC. But Gordon makes a post just kind of like congratulating Luke and then taking a shot at his teammates. That's kind of the culture over there. That's just what they do. And they don't win. They go at each other. That's just, they get, that's what they do. Well, in it, he talks about, and he's like, calls Taza and Big Dan Juniors. And of course, Craig and then other people go at Gordon. They're like, man, like, that's just super disrespectful, especially to a black belt, a guy that's a black belt that's been on the world stage a bunch of times to call him a junior. And Gordon's like, look, no, that's just how we do it. You, There are black belts on our team that are still junior members. We only count senior students. The only senior students are guys that consistently win at the highest level. And in my mind, I'm like, doesn't Oliver Taza win consistently at the highest level? Like, yes, he has never won an ADCC gold medal. But a lot of people have. You know, Gary Tonin never won an ADCC gold medal. And there have been other guys. Eddie Cummings never won an ADCC gold medal. The only guy on the team that's won an ADCC gold medal is Gordon Ryan. But it just seems like New Wave, and particularly Gordon, it's like if you win, then you're praised. But if you lose, you just, ah, it doesn't really, It's just, they're just juniors. Like, oh, Oliver Toss, he doesn't win at the World Series. He doesn't really represent our, I mean, he represents our team kind of, but he's just a junior. So beating him, like, that's not like really beating an actual member of the team. It's kind of like if your high school went out there and they won, but, like, they beat the JV team. Well, nobody cares. Oh, you beat so-and-so's JV, uh, JV team. That's the varsity team. And that's just how I take it. Whenever I hear like, oh, well, this guy from New Wave lost, but, oh, well, he was just a JV member. Like, okay, it doesn't mean as much. Like, we want to beat, everybody wants to beat the varsity players. Those are the real guys. And so I'm guessing it's Bodoni, Marigali, Gordon, and um, Gary Tonin. Are those just the four senior guys? But it just seems ridiculous. Like, Big Dan's not a senior member. Luke Griffith's not a senior member. Oliver Taza. Like, all those dudes have been at ADCC. All those guys have beaten some of, uh, I mean, they have monster wins over some of the best guys in the sport. I just can't imagine calling one of my black belt teammates a junior. Like, oh, yeah, this guy's been in, like, the world champion. He's been literally one of the best 16 
male grapplers at under 170 pounds in the world for the past, what is it? I mean, Oliver Taza has done, what, two or three ADCCs? At least two. So over the past four, five years, Oliver Taza has been one of the 16 best male grapplers under 170 pounds, but he's not a senior. He's not a senior member of the team. He's just, still just a junior. Like, what? That makes zero sense. Big Dan has been in, and he's ranked, I think, in the top 10 in the world at heavyweight. He's been dominating ADCC Opens, his weight as well as the absolute, which, I mean, essentially he's, I mean, he's almost 300 pounds, so of course, you know, he's going to dominate absolutes. But anyways, he's dominating ADCC Opens. He's done phenomenal in other big shows. He's beaten some really good dudes. He's been in ADCC. I can see, okay, maybe he's a junior member, but damn, he's got to be close to getting to us becoming a senior member. Same one with Luke Griffith, right? Like, I get it, you know, he's still not a black belt, but damn, like the dude's dominating. He's smothered, tapped a dude in the finals of the European trials to like go to the biggest, like the ADCC championships. And this will be his second appearance of the ADCC championships. So I know, look, their team's different. Obviously, they're into like Japanese stuff. Like they're not, they're super different from 10th Planet. I get it. But man, you just got to think like if I'm Oliver Taza, that would offend me. I would kind of be like, man, like, you know, and I don't want to hear like, oh, you're just being a wimp. Like, like, no, dude, like sometimes you got to stick up for yourself. And sometimes you got to be like, hey, like I deserve some self-respect. Like I literally am one of the 16 best grapplers under 170 pounds i ain't no damn junior until next time guys i love and appreciate you 